the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, estate planning attorney in San Jose, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And uh, I wanted to welcome you to the show today. I don't have anything specifically planned for today, um, which means I'm going to kind of be chilling a little bit today. I have some questions and comments from around the state of California. And if we uh, we run out of those before the show's over, then I will uh, probably pick an estate planning topic and talk at some length about that. So let's go ahead and get started. We'll start first with a um, with a question out of San Luis Obispo, California, and uh, it says. Um, I have separate property. I transferred it into the trust that my husband and I have with both of us as trustees of the trust. I want to change the character of the property from separate property to joint tenants. Do I have to transfer the property out of trust, taking title as joint tenants, then transfer it back into the trust? Well, the first thing I would ask this person is, you have the property in the trust. What's the purpose of making it joint tenants? Um, Is that joint tenants with your husband or joint tenants with someone outside of the trust? If it's with your husband, then probably what you want to do, if the idea is that your husband's going to receive the property at your death, or that uh, you want the property to have a step up in cost basis at the death of either one of you, one of you rather, then what you need to do is you need to actually, (coughs) excuse me, you need to actually do what's called a transmutation, which is to actually change the character of the property from your separate property to community property owned by both of you. I'm not really sure why someone would want to transfer the property out of a trust and make it be joint tenancy property, unless it was going to be joint tenancy property with someone who's not a maker of the trust, like this person's husband. You can theoretically own joint tenancy property in a trust. I believe it creates 
massive opportunity for confusion as to just what you intended. With this person here, I would want to find out in great detail just what the purpose of transferring the property into joint tenancy would be when it's already being held in a trust. Um, I'd want to know what are you trying to accomplish? Then we'd work on what is the best way to accomplish that. Uh, transferring into joint tenancy, probably not the best way. Okay, here's Otto Costa Mesa. Someone asked the question, said, I'm doing a codicil to my will with the help of an attorney. Now, let me explain. A codicil is an amendment to a will. We don't call it a will amendment. We call it a codicil. And it's basically to change one or more parts of your will without executing a whole new will. Now, my approach is if you want to make a change to your will, I would rather that you actually redo the entire will and have a whole new will that has whatever changes you want to incorporate rather than doing a codicil. I take that approach because a codicil might be lost or misplaced and then nobody actually knows that the will that they're looking at was modified in some way. Whereas if you do a whole new will, you can actually take and completely replace the earlier will with a whole new will document. And the idea behind that is by replacing what you're doing is uh, is updating it at the same time. Uh, uh, plus, it, it's also possible that there have been some changes in the laws or changes that might affect your will. And doing a new will is probably better than trying to do a change. But let's go with this here out of Costa Mesa. Person said, I need it to be witnessed. But due to health issues, I'm housebound and rarely go out. I don't know my neighbors. And the only other person, presumably the only other person than the attorney, is a beneficiary, so she can't witness it. I'm at a loss as to what to do or how to do it. Any suggestions? Well, first of all, the law does not prohibit a beneficiary or heir of a will from acting as one of the witnesses of the will. Um, um, and, you know, as long as the other witness is a, a third party that has no interest, such as the person's attorney, that would be a valid will. The main reason why you generally don't want to use someone who's an heir or beneficiary is in case you're anticipating that there's going to be a challenge to the will and someone would try to argue that there was undue influence or overreaching or fraud or something like that. Now, if this person is making a codicil to their will and it's an ordinary kind of thing and it's not massively changing the distribution plan away from um, some family members and giving it all to someone else who's maybe not a family member at all, I would not, uh, as a general rule, be concerned about that kind of a change. I say that because 
because no one's really going to be fighting about a change like that. Add to that the fact that if someone just signed their will and dated it, this codicil, and didn't have it witnessed at all, the court could still accept the codicil as a valid codicil because it clearly would show that this person wanted to make a change to the will. And that could would only really be an issue, again, if there's somebody that's trying to challenge the codicil because it wasn't executed with the specific formalities that the law is generally looking for. That being said, if you don't have somebody that can assist you, then what it really comes down to is you might have to, um, uh, first of all, ask the attorney, does the attorney have an assistant that could come out and be a second witness? Uh, Does the attorney actually have people that he or she works with that can do that kind of thing for clients that may need that assistance? For example, I do have Uh, I do have a what I call my signing crew or posse, which are a number of individuals that when I need a second witness to witness signing of wills in my office, I make arrangements for them to come by my office uh, at a specific time to come in, see some identification for my client or clients, and then act as a signing witness along with me. So it may very well be that a person in this situation um, could maybe contact a mobile notary to come by and act as a witness rather than as a notary. Um, I would say you need to maybe even ask the person who's a beneficiary, do you have people that you know that could come in and just witness my codicil? Uh, So there's a a lot of opportunity to fix things and a lot of options there. And I would say don't give up. Okay, we're coming up on the end of the first segment of the show today. When we come back, I will continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman and we'll continue after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back. I wanted to let you all know that um, my new website has been up and running a couple of weeks now and there's uh, more information on there. Um, For example, I have... uh, a number of blog posts that are up there and I'm going to be adding to over time. And I also have another section of my website that links to the videos I have on my YouTube channel. Um, So you can go there. There's a lot of educational um, YouTube channel um, videos. And uh, and the other thing is it's uh, pretty easy to book a consultation with me. I do not charge for consultations. I consult on uh, people who need to do estate planning. I primarily do foundational estate planning, which is wills, trusts, powers of attorney, advanced health care directives. 
Um, I don't do super advanced estate planning uh, for extremely high net worth individuals and couples, but I do belong to a network where I have colleagues throughout the state that can assist with those kinds of things. So uh, feel free. I can do a first level of planning for you. And if there is more advanced planning that's needed, I have colleagues that can assist with that as well. So you can kind of consider me to be pretty much a one-stop shop um, if, if you need to get some things done. Now, I'm going to continue now with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Now we have one coming out of San Diego uh, asking, is a trustee supposed to let the beneficiaries of a trust know where the trust money went? So as the beneficiaries asked the trustee about accounts and where the money went, trustee said it was none of their business. Well, <laughs> that's so funny. It's literally their business because if there's a trustee handling accounts, the beneficiaries essentially are the customers and clients of the trustee. So, yeah, they have a right to know where the money went. They have to write to what's called an accounting. Uh, were there expenses? Yes. What were those expenses? How much was spent for those expenses? Were the expenses valid expenses or were they expenses that uh, were should not have been paid or were um, things that the trustee just wanted to do but can't justify that there was any reason for the trust to spend that money. Uh, so, yeah, the beneficiaries are absolutely entitled to know where the money went. It's called an accounting. And the trustee has the obligation to provide that accounting um, there's legal obligations in the law as to when the accounting has to be provided and uh, under what circumstances and also even the kind of information that is supposed to be inside the accounting. All right. Here's one out of Angels Camp, California. Anyone here listening ever been to Angels Camp? I was there many, many years ago. And I uh, haven't been back for many, many years, but it's supposed to be a pretty neat place to go. Um, and the person said, my mom owns her home debt free. My 80 years old COPD lives at home. I'm not sure what COPD is. I thought that was a medical condition. Um, okay. Oh, she's 80 years old and has COPD and lives at home. Okay, now it makes sense. Says, I help pay household expenses for my mother and my brother helps too. My mother only has SSI and our father's retirement that's being paid to her. The home was purchased for about $8,000 in 1964. <laughs> Stop and ponder that. $8,000 to purchase home now valued at $500,000. No other real assets. To avoid inheritance tax, are we better off to have our mother quit claim her house to me and my brother, or are we better off to inherit? Well, first of all, 
there's no inheritance tax in the state of California. That was repealed a number of years ago. The federal estate tax, which is a wealth transfer tax, is only going to apply to an individual that today has an estate that's over about $12 million, and it's going up to over $12.9 million on January 1 of 2023. So we're not worried about uh, inheritance taxes of any kind for this estate. But here's the deal. If you inherit it, you will inherit it at its current market value, which let's assume that's $500,000. If you and your brother then turn around and sell mom's house uh, pretty much shortly after you inherit it and you sell it for $500,000, you're not going to pay any income tax on all the increase in the value from when your parents bought it in 1964 and, and also probably from uh, the increase in value from when your father first passed because your mother would have had a new value for income tax purposes under the law when your father died. So I would say you're better off inheriting. Now, the second thing is, does putting our names on the deed make us additionally responsible for any debts if our mother becomes hospitalized and can't pay her medical bills? Uh, the only bills are a few small credit cards that we'd be able to pay off, or would those be written off as well because she's a widow? Well, first of all, if mom is 80 years old and she's getting SSI, that means that for her medical expenses, um, at 80 years old, she'd be on Medicare. And other than whatever copay, or uh, she probably has no copay, uh, and she probably has very low monthly costs for Medicare, Medicare would be paying her medical bills at age 80. So um, my bigger concern would be, what if she had to go into a nursing home but if she owns her home and puts it into a trust, a living trust, then her home would not count as an available asset for qualifying for Medi-Cal, which is the Medicaid program in the state of California. And Medi-Cal would actually then be able to pay for the cost of her nursing home stay. So in a situation like this, I would advise the family, likely advise the family, that they turn around and they keep everything in mom's name, but have it put into a living trust so they can then be inherited by the brother and sister or perhaps the brother and sister's children if a brother, the brother or sister or both of them passed away before the mother. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. When we come back, We'll go to the third segment of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. On AM 1220 KDOW. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And we head now to Lancaster, California, where someone asks the following, or here's the following situation. The trust that we're dealing with lists the two beneficiaries of the trust as co-trustees with the assumption that both would work together to prepare the property, this is the real property, to be sold. However, one of the trustee beneficiaries refused to be involved with any of the work needed to prepare the property for sale. But now they want the proceeds split equally. So this is basically the story of uh, the little red hen who baked the bread, if, if any of you are familiar with that. Um, the, the hen asked for help from the other animals around to, uh, to pick the grain and grind the grain and make the dough and then bake the bread. And all along the way, all the, uh, the other animals said, Oh, not I, not I, said the horse, not I, said the pig, not I, said the fox. They all didn't want to be bothered with doing any of the work. But then when the bread was baked, they each wanted an equal share of the bread. And the hen said, basically, nah, I'm eating the whole thing myself. And she pretty much did. Now, in this case, the person's asking, is there anything that the person who did all the work and put their own money into the property can do? Well, I would say if you had someone that put their own money in to fix up the property, they'd be entitled to be reimbursed for the money that they put in. Whether they'd be entitled to pay themselves out of the sale proceeds for the time they spent, possibly so. Maybe at the rate of 25 or $30 an hour. It might be a little higher now acting as a trustee. But I can guarantee that in the latter case, getting paid for the time spent or trying to pay yourself for the time spent, you're probably going to have a big old fight with the other beneficiary. In the former case, they, the issue is it's still going to be, will the other beneficiary agree that you should get back off the top your money that you put in to fix up the property? I would say you have absolutely the right to get that money back because it was not money of the trust. It was basically the same as if you went and got a loan to fix up the property. Then you'd have to pay back the loan before the beneficiaries would actually be able to um, to uh, to take before they'd be able to actually get um, the rest of the money. Uh, lenders are funny like that. They expect to be paid when you borrow money from them. So this is probably heading towards a major blowout between these two beneficiaries. And I'll tell you, uh, you listening out there, someone out there might very well say, yeah, this is pretty much what happened when my parents passed away and I did all the work and my siblings didn't do anything. But they uh, were standing there with their hands out at the end, expecting to get an equal share of everything, even though they'd done nothing along the way to help out uh, with the transition, with winding up 
the affairs of our parents and distributing everything. So um, this situation, they're probably heading for a big old fight. Hopefully they won't actually fight and they'll be able to sort it out. But I'm not very confident based on what I've seen over the years. Okay, out of Irvine, California. This is kind of an interesting one. It's more of a um, a will or trust contest situation. Okay, um, a no contest provision in in a will or a trust basically will say something like this one does. Uh, it provides for disinheritance of a beneficiary who quote prosecutes an action based on a creditor's claim after rejection thereof or lack of action thereon by the trustee of a trust or by the personal representative of the estate of the trustor. In this case, this person's a beneficiary, wants to file a personal injury lawsuit against the deceased person for damages related to the STD that was transmitted to the beneficiary by the person who died. Uh, it says this was verified by two doctors and letters from two other women after his death. Uh, the estate closes soon. I've been told that the no contest provision only applies to a creditor's claim. Um, and I can't risk a personal injury suit being misconstrued as a creditor's claim. So the question is, would this provision be enforceable for a personal injury suit? Um, can I still file within a year? It's a very high-value estate, and uh, this person's having a hard time finding somebody to actually uh, represent them in this situation. Now, I do not do any litigation involving wills and trusts. And uh, I, would, I would have my doubts that a personal injury lawsuit um, is a creditor's claim. Typically, a creditor's claim would be you borrowed money from me, you, um, um, but, but here, really hard to say whether or not a lawsuit for personal injury is the same thing as a creditor's claim. And if this person uh, pursues the lawsuit, will they actually be set up to lose whatever they're receiving from this estate? It says they're going to be getting paid out money over 10 years. Um, and the person is on is basically just on Social Security. So I don't know. I would not advise this person because this is not my particular specialty in estate planning. But I don't know that a court would enforce a new contest provision against someone suing the deceased person's estate because they suffered injuries. And just the fact that they're also a beneficiary of the estate in my opinion, should not make any difference to whether or not they can actually pursue this. Um, 
I don't I don't think that they should be foreclosed or lose uh, rights if they were actually injured by the person just because they're inheriting from the person. Uh, logic dictates to me that that would not be the case. Common sense dictates that. And fundamental fairness and equity in the law dictates that. But again, I'm not so sure how it would turn out. And you're really going to have to find someone who's willing to help you with that. And that may ultimately be, ultimately be the most difficult thing that the person has or that they're facing. Okay, now here's someone saying, um, my sister and I are both beneficiaries of our mother's bank account. When filling out the California Affidavit of Collection of Estate Assets, I assume what they're referring, what the person's referring to there is an affidavit of small estate value, uh, the affidavit being appropriate because the mother did not have a large estate of any kind. So let's assume that's what we're talking about. The question is, when filling it out, do I put my sister's name on the affidavit? Well, the general rule for these affidavits is everybody who is receiving or entitled to receive a share of the property of the deceased person using the excuse me, using the affidavit procedure, they all have to be identified. They all have to sign the affidavit. If it's a will that directs everything to go to a trust, then it would be signed by the executor or executors of the will because they're the ones that have the authority to direct where the property goes. If it's just brother and sister who are inheriting from a parent and and they're equally inheriting, then they would each sign as 50-50. If there was a, a will that said it's divided 60-40, then they would indicate one as to 60%, one as to 40%. They'd get that signed, get their signatures notarized, attach a certified copy of mom's death certificate and then give it to the bank. So yeah, everybody who's receiving um, that asset has to sign that affidavit. That's pretty much how that works. Okay, well, we're coming up on the end of the third segment of the show today. It seems to be really flying by. Um, I hope it's flying by for you. It's certainly flying by for me. When we come back after this next set of commercials, I'll be taking it home with the fourth segment of today's Plan Your Estate Radio. So stay tuned. We don't have that much more to go. This is attorney Bob Bergman, your host, and I'll finish up the show after this commercial break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hey there. 
Welcome back to the final segment of the show today. I uh, got a question out of Camarillo. Oh, I'm sorry. I covered that one already. All right. All right. Here's a question that's not an estate planning question at all. So I'm going to skip that one. Okay. Oh, this is an interesting one. Um, from Riverside, California. Person says, my father's a widower. I'm the successor trustee of his trust and his conservator. A few items in his trust need to be updated. His will needs to be changed. And his Schedule A and beneficiary distribution list need to be updated. Can I make changes to my father's revocable living trust? The shorter answer is, heck no. I say that because... Um, if you're his conservator, what that does is that tells me that he is not competent, more likely than not. That means that his trust and his will are now irrevocable. His, his trust is irrevocable because he cannot amend it anymore. His will can't be changed. And I get concerned when someone says the beneficiary distribution list needs to be updated. What that tells me is, yeah, there's people I don't want to get anything. Is there any way I can make sure that they're taken out of the estate plan? Presumably, it might be possible to go to court and ask that the trust be amended, not the will, but that the trust be amended the Schedule A could probably be updated. That's a matter of just putting new information on there. But beneficiary distribution and updating a few items in the trust, you might be able to go to court and have changes like that made under Probate Code Section 15403. But it's going to take all of the consent of everybody who is a remainder beneficiary of the trust. In other words, everybody who's identified as inheriting through the trust. So if you're talking about updating the beneficiary distribution list and you want to remove somebody, unless they're in agreement with that, you're not going to be able to get a court to sign off on that. Be very unusual. I, I suppose uh, probate code section 15403 does permit uh, the amendment of an irrevocable trust, and strictly speaking, if someone is now incapacitated um, and is conserved, then they um, it is now an irrevocable trust kind of by definition. Uh, there's no real way for them to change it anymore. I don't know that I would take on something like that, um, but you might have a sympathetic judge that says, yeah, we'll make those changes as long as everybody whose interests are affected agree that, yeah, we're going to add, you know, one more sibling in here that was inadvertently left out of the distribution plan. Or, or yes, we all agree that it said divide between the four children who are then living, but we all agree that our brother who died who had kids his share should actually go to his kids. So we'd like to get the trust changed to reflect that. Uh, you might get a court to agree to that. 
if the other three children say, yeah, we're cool with that. So, um, so all is not necessarily lost. There may even be able to changes to be made after the father passed away, but of course he's still alive at this point. So that's not really what we're talking about. So here we go. Um, out of uh, Hesperia, California. Okay, do I need to go through probate for my mother's estate? She had no will or trust. The reverse mortgage on her home is greater than the value of the home. Wow, that tells me that the reverse mortgage company really messed up. If they actually were paying out more than what the home is worth, they didn't do a good job setting up that reverse mortgage in the first place. Says all other assets do not exceed $50,000. All other assets are in joint bank accounts with me or have a beneficiary, a 401k plan. And person said, I'm letting the home go to foreclosure because the reverse mortgage is greater than the value, letting them take it back. If every asset is in a joint bank account, jointly owned with this person or has a beneficiary, and you're not even gonna touch the house, just let it go to foreclosure, there's no reason for a probate particularly. Now, if the lender with the reverse mortgage takes the property, sells it, and they're still owed money, they might be able to commence a probate as a creditor and try to go after other monies that belonged to the mother. It's going to be kind of hard if they were in joint accounts and a 401k plan and there's nothing actually available anymore. Um, this is similar to a situation uh, friend of mine came to me a number of years ago and his father had died and his father's house was really poor shape. One of those houses where the only reason it was still standing was because the termites in the walls were holding hands. Um, and all he had was some really uh, crummy furniture in there and he owed more than what it was worth. I told him, don't start a probate. You'll just be creating a problem for you and your sister. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.